the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black talking how to create wealth. How to live off your wealth until the day you die is ultimately the goal, I think. But then if you want to live large, maybe that's a twist. Or if you want to die frugal, maybe that's your angle. But the goal is to get you there. One of the lessons that I learned many years ago in investing is that sometimes doesn't seem fair. And it's it's one of those ones you have to swallow. It's one of the very first lessons I learned was, and forgive me for probably cancel culturing myself with the geriatrics of the show, is old people don't like paying taxes. So don't do a lot of buying and selling in their account. Don't put them in Intel for one year and then get them out. If there's a tax consideration that hits after 90 days, don't sell it or buy it at day 89 because they're going to be very well aware of it. Then there was other lessons that I learned that low interest rates are great for me. So when you see the 10-year treasury go lower, typically during economic peril, like a 9-11, like the Great Recession, like the pandemic shutdown, that when interest rates go lower, that's good news for me, Rob Black, because I'm buying houses with big old mortgages, and the lower the rate, the better for me. For me, 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 me. But low interest rates is horrible. Horrible. If you happen to be elderly and living in a scenario of interest rates paying you on your cash and you living off said cash on a pretty strict budget. So you kind of learn that there's no right answers. Old people don't like taxes. Old people like high interest rates. I want low interest rates because they want the safety of their cash. I get that a lot. Where's a good place for me to save money that's safe but has a good interest rate? You're looking at online banks. Trying to get an uh, elderly person into an online bank. It's like pulling teeth. Well, I've always used the same bank. Well, they're not paying you a good interest rate, are they? No. I don't trust the online banks. And I get it all. OPEC turns 57 years old. Now, how old are they now? 61. So OPEC's 61 years old, and this was another one of those first lessons that I learned where it doesn't make sense and it pisses you off, and that's okay. So 
light up a match, put it in the oil lamp, and watch it burn. OPEC is the organization of petroleum exporting countries. And I think I'm correct. Iraq, Libya, Algeria, Venezuela, Ecuador, Nigeria, Gabon, Angola, Iran, Kuwait, Qatar, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, and Saudi Arabia. A lot of oil in the Middle East. A lot of oil in on Africa. Some oil in South America. But those countries got together back in 1960 when five founding members signed their names to the document establishing OPEC. And they declared the organization open any country with a substantial new export in oil. So it was a club which had to export oil. Okay. There's 13 members now, so five grew into 13. I think the original five were Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi, and Venezuela. And then they slowly started adding more in. I'm not crazy about it, but it was also something that gave stability to the oil market. The world was developing rapidly, decolonizing post-World War II. Seven major oil companies, known as the Seven Sisters, all originated in the developed world, controlled about 85% of the world oil supply. And that was BP, Chevron, Texaco, America's Gulf Oil, Standard Oil of Jersey, Standard Oil of New York, and Royal Dutch. And that's it. So trying to stabilize this, post-World War II, where countries were now starting to say, okay, oil's kind of an important asset for us to have in times of war. OPEC's defining objective was to reclaim the developing nation's oil resources from their former colonizers. OPEC started flexing its muscle in the 1970s, demanding a greater share of the profits. So they're like, yeah, Texaco and Chevron, we need you to get the oil out of the ground in our country but we want a larger share. And there's kind of an imbalance there that you kind of know played out for the countries over time. Our country is searching for alternative fuel sources. In winter of 2021, Texas got hit with ice, icy conditions that blacked out the state for four or five days. And Elon Musk said, hey, I'm going to build a super big solar battery so this doesn't happen again. Still no battery. But... You could kind of see that consistency uh, of supplying to the world has its advantages. Until OPEC pulled a fast one and there was an oil embargo. We have the oil, you want it, we want you to pay more. And ultimately, it largely succeeded with oil prices stabilizing the high teens, low $20 range. When I got into the industry in the 90s, I saw oil go down to $8 a barrel. I've seen it go 150, day prices 160. I want oil somewhere between 40 and $60 a barrel. So when there is an attack on the Saudi oil fields due to terrorism or due to, I don't even know. My Middle East politics are not my strong point of the show. But when oil gets up to 70, it's bad for world growth. When the pandemic has more people at home, it's bad for world growth. Except for, remember, there's no right answers. 
So for when governments spend similar amounts of money and they just print it. Whoa. Which creates inflation. So OPEC is one of those kind of yucky, icky relationships that we don't really like, but it serves a purpose. But if the shoe were on the other foot, some people would have a problem with it. For instance, if semiconductors were controlled by Intel and AMD and said this year, we're only going to make, even though we have the capacity to make a billion of these things, we're only going to make 100 million. And we're just charging 45% premium. We could make more, but we're going to go for the profits this year. Everyone in the world would get pretty pissed off. I'm not saying there's not some artificial control of the semiconductor market. But OPEC's not even shy about it at times. It's kind of a weird question, is it not? And then you see maybe the U.S. economy in different parts are based on different things. California has the technology. The Midwest has insurance industries. Coastal areas have recreation, leisure, vacation, hotels. You get the idea. Um, Saudi Arabia had nothing. It was a very poor country, except for it had a lot of oil. So we want them to succeed. And we want them to diversify their economy. At the same time, they're heavily reliant on the price of oil. Fascinating stuff. Much more interesting than, than it should be. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial, the oil patch, and how you just kind of have to work with it. There's no right answers. There's just compromises. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. It is wildly appreciated. I'm not always going to be entertaining. I'm not always going to be infotaining. But what I do promise is if you listen, you'll walk away with one or two ideas tied towards money, hopefully, that is able to do what it's supposed to do for you. And... um Kind of get you going in the right direction. 800-516-1220. Get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Mortgage rates. Um, the cost of money. It's something we should think about on occasion. It is one of the most powerful movers on the market that you don't even know about. If I were to say there's four or five factors that I would be stoked with, would be to, to take a look at the 10-year treasury and the direction that it's going, the price of oil and the direction that it's going, how many people in America are employed and the direction that's going. And then I'm going to start getting into maybe sectors. And those are kind of three of my bloodlines. It's not that simple, nor do I want anyone to think it's that simple. But there is something to be said for it, in my opinion, of trying to find some key things that you look for, try to stay connected to it, 
don't get too far ahead of yourself or too cocky or too arrogant. Um, I think that's when people get into trouble with investing. Um, I saw a quote this weekend that just made me cringe where Susie Orman is talking about Bitcoin. And the one thing I can tell you about Susie Orman is I don't feel that her investment knowledge is highly qualified. So when she's chiming in, to me it feels a little bit unlike, and again, this is a bad example, David Tepper. Or, I mean, even if you want to get a celebrity kind of person, maybe Mark Cuban, I feel at least he's run billion-dollar companies, and he's not in the business of trying to get you to believe he's a guru. He's done it. Okay, let's talk about one of the big futures out there, one of the big futures of retail. Before the pandemic, and this is funny that I say it like that, I remember seeing these little pop-up stores, these little Amazon stores where you just walk in and walk out and boom, it hits your your Amazon card. It's not that simple, but we started seeing more online checkout, more kiosks, point of service financing, more wallets, more buy buttons, more cards, more fields. When I say fields, online checkout, Username, password, name, billing address, shipping address, phone number. There's some inconsistency with online checkout where people abandon their carts. How do you feel about abandoning your cart? And then you get an email from the company like, hey, don't forget, you still got the cart. And you're like, dang, you watched me. But maybe you go, I need a Maddox. I got some weeds that I want to dig up. And you get what you think is a full-size Maddox, and then it comes out to be a hand Maddox. And you're like, oh. You kind of see like, and you just leave it in the cart. Or you see that the shipping is too high. Or the taxes, oh, shipping is going to take two weeks, donate it. Or the taxes, the fees, something, right? Sometimes you're like, I'm going to screw this. I'm banning this because they want me to create an account. Or that it's too long of a complicated checkout process. I've gotten to the point sometimes where, like, if I have to pay property taxes on something, I just call the company. I'm like, uh, what do I have to do? Like, I don't like figuring it out on my own. Uh, this is kind of the whole retail's kind of Rubik's Cube here. Figuring it out on your own versus needing help. Sometimes a website will crash and you never get back to it. Delivery was too slow and you never come back to it. Return policy was too too tight. But the number one thing is the extra cost, the shipping, the taxes, the fees. And number two reason for abandoning a cart was just taking too long to create an account. Rarely was it your credit card was declined. So how many billions of dollars are left in the shopping cart? E-commerce conversion rates are low across the board but they're particularly bad on mobile devices. So on occasion, you'll see companies come out with this new idea on how can we convert this so that they get the point of sale. Big card networks are teaming up to roll out a series of solutions that could way overhaul how consumers pay online. I was reading about YouTube getting a new app so that it streams on your TV better with Chromecast. That Chromecast experience isn't nice. It isn't 
So I've never really developed it. Now, years later, I'm good with YouTube TV. I'm good with Netflix. And as I get older, I don't really want to change. Have you ever heard this? This is one of the most powerful buying lessons I can give you. Is pre-pandemic, I loved going for like a chicken sandwich and a salad for lunch on occasion. And I always went to the same exact location, had the same exact thing, and the same exact uh, sat at the bar, maybe watched a soccer match, had an hour and a half lunch, took a break, get up at four in the morning, work till 10, grab basically a lunch dinner. Very consistent. The only thing that broke that habit was the pandemic. But have you ever had a restaurant relationship where they serve you wrong once or you get like raw chicken? And you're like, I don't know if I could trust that kitchen ever again. You have a night on the toilet that is unlike any other night on the toilet of your life. You're like, I'm never going back there again. I've had that once and I'd almost go back there again because I think I lost like 10 pounds in one night, it felt like. I know you're saying you can make your own raw chicken concoction, Rob. You don't have to go to a restaurant and pay money for it. So big credit card companies are coming out with a series of solutions that can overhaul the way consumers pay online. And the biggest is Visa at 3.7 trillion. Then comes MasterCard at 1.5 trillion. Amex at 777 billion, which if you believe the economy is going to open up post-pandemic, Amex is is kind of a post-pandemic company. Amex is kind of a post-recession company where more small businesses start opening up, more people start doing more transactions, more people feel confident that they can order something from Office Max and sell it to you. Amex is more of a credit card play in my mind that's tied towards businesses than a MasterCard or a Visa. I don't even count Discover. Can you imagine being on a first date and your date pulls out a Discover card to pay and you're like, <gasps> you should have told me. Kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm not a MasterCard Visa snob. Okay, I'm a MasterCard Visa snob. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. We're talking a little retail right now. We'll see where the show goes. We're in our strategy hour. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing and more. Did you see the news that Warren Buffett cut some of his shares of Apple and Ron Barron cut some of his shares of Tesla? Is the end of Tesla is the end of Apple? In my opinion, in no way, shape or form, but you need to get your own opinion and figure out what you like or don't like and why. It's a reminder to me that people like Ron Barron have a limited amount of capital and that they know sometimes we have to trim our stake in something that's become too big to deploy the capital in a more finite way elsewhere to maximize every dollar invested. You don't have to do that, although it does bring up why not. If it's good enough for Warren Buffett to buy, and Rob says if it's good enough for Buffett to buy, we should at least look at it. If he didn't do anything tricky like get stock options or convertible stock, 
you should take a look at it because he tends to accumulate for a long period of time. And he held Apple for a long period of time and he didn't sell all of his Apple, but he did trim his stake. Warren Buffett says he loves Apple shares. And Ron Barron says he thinks Tesla's headed to 2000. But it looks like a violent reaction when you see 1.8 million shares. Again, I, I suggest you write some numbers down on occasion just to look at the eyeball. And if you've doubled your money, tripled your money, quadrupled your money, um, if you can make 10% in Apple this year after 5G's kind of been introduced, or you think you can make 30% in energy stocks because oil's moved above $70 a barrel, I, if you're a billionaire and if you've got that size portfolio, you almost owe it to your investors to make that move. I'm not saying this is anything specific. This is very generic. Work with it. Maybe it's an idea that clicks in your head of, oh, I get it. No big deal. Maybe it's an idea you're like, well, I'm panicked because <laughs> you saw how Tesla sells down when someone starts selling millions and millions and millions of shares. Just thrown out there, is the cycle turning? I think if it's, it's already turned. I think this is a year of financials and energy over big tech. Now again, I'm ridiculous for saying this is a year because Wall Street doesn't have to work in 12 cute little compartmentalized months. Wall Street can make that turn in three. Or it could take three years. You never know. I'm not trying to play both sides of the fence when I say that. So back to a little bit of retail. There's inconsistency and friction that equals abandoned carts. And you look at conversion rates during the pandemic, the pre-pandemic, the post-pandemic. You look at... How did desktops become, tablets become smartphones as far as ordering? I remember back in the day when I had a, an iPad or an Amazon Fire tablet or whatever they're called. And now I'm just like, ah, I just got a kind of a bigger phone. So I, I don't do the tablet shopping. Um, I'm kind of a desktop or smartphone kind of guy, but that doesn't really mean anything to you, right? But on mobile devices, the conversion rate starts to drop. So big card networks are teaming up to roll out a series of solutions that'll overhaul all this, trying to become more device agnostic, trying to become more common across all retailers, payment agnostic, and tokenizing everything. So standards are being developed by the big boys. It's a little bit questionable ethically, but I'm good with it. The click-to-pay angle a solution that aims to simplify, simplify purchasing. It's more of a secret weapon than you know. You tap to log in, you select from a store information, you can complete the checkout. But once implemented, it becomes easier and easier and easier. So there's different type of uh, roles in all of this. The SRC, Rollout's happening. The first version of Click2Pay is already in live after final specs came out in 2019. You've probably noticed if you've done any shopping in retail, in physical stores, that 
some of the Apple Pays work better than some of the other ones. Some of the wallet pays in your phone work better. Or how about the, the digital chip versus the swiping of the chip? It's all being worked on again, trying to, you know, um, I don't want to say PayPal has a dominance right now with a pay button, but it's their, their answer. Mobile wallets may be less appealing for e-commerce, which could restrict a habit formation. Mobile commerce will become easier and a lot more standard. Online purchase conversions are set to improve, and that should help the retailers. Big money is being spent on this whole area right now. One of the stories that I heard at the start of 2021, not stories, notes. I should be careful with the use of stories because that makes it sound frivolous. But when I heard TJ Maxx is going to be up in their dividend coming out of the pandemic, I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. Confidence. As an investor, I want to invest in companies that have some confidence. And you're only looking for five, six, seven, eight, nine things to fall in love with a company. Revenues, earnings, sales. You get the idea. And if you get that confidence, you're like, I'm in. Or you're get, trying to get more in. Um, so the credit card companies at the start of 2021... In their earnings call, both of them said, we're going to be raising fees. Comcast said last year, I guess probably around Thanksgiving or maybe Halloween, somewhere in there, I got an email from them saying, we're going to be raising the cost of, of the internet at your home. Of course, you're going to get more connectivity. Of course, it's going to be faster. Of course, it's going to be you know all the, everything that they want to say. But to me, is there really any other solution for high-speed internet into the home at this point in time? Not really. So Jeff Bezos' satellite delivering internet's not quite ready for prime time when you're having a family of four consume the internet for school and work, for Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. So when a company raises their fees, it's, it's, it's very empowering. Um, I work in an industry that has fee compression, but you get more for less every year. The industry of portfolio management they used to be able to charge 2 to 6%. A mutual fund would be 2 to 6%. And you were happy for it because, oh, I've never been to China, but this mutual fund, and you can say it's someone like Matthews. I'm not saying anything negative on Matthews. I'm just saying there's a Matthews Asia fund. And for the sake of this example, it's the easiest one for me to throw out there. But let's say Matthews is like, has an Asia fund that's up 40% and our markets are up 10%. We're like, whoa, Asia sounded exotic. I think I want some of that in my portfolio. What's going on over in Asia? As a man who's traveled in Europe and Asia, I could tell you, in Australia in particular, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be improved. Roads, when I say infrastructure, buildings, hospitals. But we could start with roads and bridges where you go up and down the coast and you're like, does Australia really have a two-lane highway? A two-lane highway? A two-lane highway. I'm used to San Francisco where we're like six, seven. Literally, you can fall asleep, drift seven lanes, and still be going forward, right? 
Uh. So you get to the point where the fee compression is positive and negative. In this industry, you would say something along the lines of, well, Matthews has a portfolio manager who's actually been to Australia and he's actually been to Asia and he actually knows what the kids are buying and what, what corporations are willing to spend money on and tax rates and some of the public policies. Oh, and he even knows the currency of that said country. I'm so naive. And I, again, I'm, I'm saying this jokingly when I say this. Uh, is Australia using the dollar? You have to know sometimes you don't know stuff. Is Turkey using the lira or is Turkey on the euro? Or have they started a digital currency? But sometimes in, in the world you would say, well, I'm going to pay an extra fee because they're actually there doing it. It's kind of gone away. The industry really can't charge that 2 to 6% anymore. So they're like, well, we'll give you better statements or we'll give you more resources or we'll give you a will. Wait, wait, if I invest in Turkey, you'll also do my will for me? Yeah, why not? Um, so the industry, the financial planning industry is giving you more for less. Well, maybe. Maybe they're hooking you in for the longer term too. But anytime a company like a Comcast or a Visa or a MasterCard says they're raising their rates, I'm interested because to you and me, we hate that. But Wall Street tends to like it. So anytime you see confidence of somebody like a Kohl's or a TJ Maxx coming out of COVID saying, we're going to raise our dividend, we're going to open more stores, I'm not saying it's the, it's the buy signal of all buy signals. It's just one of many. You can find me online at robloxshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Later this week, I'm going to do a little bit more on women and investing. During this show, we focus on wealth. It's a dicey topic for me because I'm not a woman. But I saw my mom outlive my father by 25 years. So I have some experience with it. I've seen more, I'm not going to say wealthy, I've seen more widowed females. Widow has to be a widower. Okay, a widow. I've seen more widowed ladies. Um, really outlive the husband. Maybe it's our societal thing of men like to marry a little bit younger. Or is that even a statement? Or is, that, is there any truth in that statement? Or is that just me? Um, so I'm going to do a little bit more on it. There's, there's a lot of topics there. There's women outliving men. So they have to be prepared for more. They have to have a bigger number for their, their I'm done number of investing. There's the complications of having babies and taking time off from maternity leave and how that damages your social security or your career earnings, your trajectory. On If in my last year of, you know, I took three years off for babies and I was getting a 4% raise every year and I lost that 4%, 4%, 4%. That's pretty significant after 40 years of losing that time 
A, in the market, but growing your ability to earn money. Strides have been made of women in finance for sure. I love seeing Janet Yellen, our Treasury Secretary, become Commerce Secretary. I love seeing Christine Lagarde run the IMF and then the ECB. Citigroup's Jane Frazier. Um, women generally allocate more of their finances to saving than men. Like that can be part of another angle. Women and their perception of being shoppers, Visa. There'll be more content that I could put together, but it is National Women's Month. Um, and although I did not do a Black Lives Matters investing show, I should. And I will at some point, as soon as I figure out the right angle to do it on, of what does our society do? And you'll, you'll appreciate this. You'll, you'll almost cry. I was in a business meeting not that long ago where I talked about how I like going to high schools and churches and giving investment uh, themes, ideas. Um, it's something I do on weekends and some days, like maybe like a Friday afternoon. I'll go to a high school and talk to sixth graders, seventh graders about starting your own website. Uh, I'm good in the community. I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm naturally fit in, so to speak. But when I was talking to this group of well-to-do Caucasian men, they laughed at me when I said, yeah, I like going to churches. They're like, I'd love to see you at a church. I'm like, what do you mean? And I kind of got, I'm not going to be, I'd say attacked, but sometimes churches to me uh, represent a community, which I think is a great thing. We all need a community, whether you have it with friends and family, whether you have it with work, whether you have it with your church. I think communities are awesome. But when you give a speech and then a different community looks at it and goes, why are you doing that? Well, I, I don't want to necessarily talk to people who are worth $500,000 every single time. Sometimes I want to talk to that single mother, or sometimes I want to talk to that young family of you know two or three kids in the Bay Area. Holy mackerel, how do you afford that? And they need simple advice. Websites like Acorns are lovely at accumulating wealth. Now you're not going to hit the jackpot. But it's a game of start line, finish line. And you got to start moving forward, even if it's at a slower pace. The turtle can cross the retirement finish line, just like the rabbit can. And sometimes I prefer the, the, the turtle's pacing. It allows people to build confidence, which is one of the interesting things of when I do a show dedicated to women in investing. I'll probably do some horrific music coming in and like, it's ladies night. And I'm feeling right. Like, I may do that. But one of the, the, like, the amount of advice you get stuck with in your career of marry well, marry wisely, like, that's one. Clean your teeth with floss. That's another one. Dental emergencies are expensive. Your tongue's going to act a lot like a toothbrush, but floss is floss. Um, as far as getting big gunky things out of your mouth. But a lot of women find themselves in that scenario where their husband passes away early. A lot of women find themselves in the, they need long-term care versus men. My mom had long-term care. My dad did not. This is a great example. My mom had long-term care for about four years. So people like Chad, CFP Chad Burton can talk about long-term cost. When's a good time to get it? How many years of coverage do you want? Sorry about that. Um, whereas I'm going to talk about, you know, my mom fell into that 
almost perfect four years. Like, had she done it much longer, she would have been a drain financially to herself. Had she done it much shorter, it would have been a blessing. Nothing better than like living your whole life, being able to get around, be able to take your drugs, be able to live your life and then just kick over dead. That's that's sweet. It doesn't usually happen that way there for you need things like long-term care insurance. I saw my dad work till 58. Oh, yeah, he died at 58. He worked till 52, and then he had some bad health and cancer and issues, dead at 58. Saw my mom have serious strokes right around age 60. So my longevity is not great, but she did live 25 years in pretty bad health. Not quite as bad health as Ronald Reagan, but pretty close. And every year like that, it's $100,000 when you're in bad health and someone else is taking care of you. So I'll talk, I'll do a show this week about long-term care, women in investing, uh, maybe a little on the gender cap issues, although uh, be it, you got to trust me, not my strong point. But I'm better than most. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com.